Hey everybody, you've made it to episode 53 of Unbeatable. I realize that number doesn't mean anything to you, but it's a really, really big deal to me. There has now been almost a year of amazing guests And over the past several weeks, I've asked you, the listeners, to tell me your favorite moments over this last year. Buckle up your seatbelts, grab some popcorn, and stick with me because this first year is our highlight reel, the fan favorite greatest moments for the first year of Unbeatable. To kick things off today, number 10 on the top 10 highlight reel comes all the way from down under. This is Bill Gassiamas, who started a podcast in Australia after he had not one, but three different aneurysms, three major health issues as a young man in the prime of his life and an extremely healthy guy. And in the course of episode 45 with Bill Gassiamas, he makes this statement that I hope stopped you in your tracks like it did me. Check it out. And I really need our listeners to learn this from you. You made the statement that it ended up becoming the best thing that ever happened to you and it helped you find your purpose. I need you to unpack that for everybody because anybody who's listening in the prime of their life would say, if I had to go through what Bill went through, I think I would just throw in the towel because all I know of myself is I'm strong and I'm smart and I'm competent and I'm able to do things. And then you lose all of that through no fault of your own. So would you just kind of wrap things up by telling everybody, how did this become the best thing that ever happened to you? How did it help you find your purpose? If I didn't make it after that first second and third bleed i wouldn't have had enough time to discover the true me and that would have been the worst possible outcome because at 37 it would have all been over the thing is i had this second chance and third chance and fourth chance yeah yeah. and it's like wow isn't this amazing how many people get that many chances to make things right again right Bill has nine lives is what you're hearing him say. (laughs) And then some. Um, So, so what came of that was I started to, as I, as I approached my recovery in this three pronged, taking that three pronged path and rebuilding my identity and surrounding myself with amazing people, I came to the point where one of, I was challenged by one of my friends and, and Michael said to me, why don't you, like what how do you want to deal with this like what yeah. do you want to do with right. it and i said i want to share it with people i want to teach people i want to grow them and i live in a place in melbourne called preston in australia and he said to me so where would you like to do this and i said i'd love to do this in preston and he said well how many people are you going to reach in preston and i said i don't know 5 10 50 and he said you know there's this thing a- called the internet aiming for the stars right out of the gate right yeah 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 he goes do you know this thing called the internet and you could go global and i said well okay I don't know what that is, but I'll leave that in the back of my head. And Uh at some point, what happened was I got to the stage where I thought in order for me to fulfill the gap that I had in my life back then when I was looking for solutions, I needed to create the solution to the problem that existed. And that was, there was not enough information online. So I took my, upon myself to create a podcast, to learn all the things I needed to learn to get a podcast up and running and interview other people who had gone through something similar to me and had come out the other side, whether they were bruised, battered, missing limbs or whatever it was, but that they'd come out and they were willing to share their story. 
I found that by helping them do that, they were healing and recovering. By me doing that with them, I was healing and recovering. Yeah. And and at about episode 100 or so, I, I, I heard myself say to one of my guests, I think this is the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> and you had and to I do a double take when purpose. you said that, right? Like, wow. Yeah. I couldn't really believe it. It didn't really sink in for a while. And, and then I thought, I think I've found my purpose. And now we're going to transition to clip number nine in this top 10 list. This comes from Dave Dusek. Dave was on episode number 32. And Dave describes this challenging moment where as a grown man, he has to go home and ask his father for forgiveness. And Dave describes in great detail the anxiety of buying a plane ticket, flying halfway across the world, and asking his dad to forgive him for some big mistakes. Take it away. For the listeners to really be unbeatable, all of us get hurt, all of us get done wrong by other people. And I'm convinced that some of the greatest difficulties that we'll ever have to do is learning how to forgive because that's just really, really hard to do. So can you tell a little bit about what it took to restore your relationship with your father? Oh, man. Um, let's back up first. Extending forgiveness is one thing. Um, seeking forgiveness is yeah. entirely different. Yeah. And I learned firsthand, you know, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our trespasses, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God's forgiveness is immediate. People not so much. Yeah. Um, I harbored a lot of animosity towards a man who did nothing but help me out. And I don't want to go into great detail, but I wouldn't be sitting here uh, if it wasn't for some things that my father did behind the curtain yeah. that I didn't even know about. Uh -huh. And I called my mom one day, this was in 2012. And I said, you know, I really would like to talk to dad. And she says, I don't think that would be a good idea. Really? Yeah. And I said, well, why? And I, I was sitting in my garage on my Bluetooth. The door was up. The car uh -huh. was still running. I wasn't trying to gas myself or anything. But uh, I remember my wife, Joni, poking her head out several times while I was having this long conversation. And my mom gave me this somewhat lengthy recount of everything that I had done and everything that he had done for me that I was unaware of. And I believe that when we become this new creation in Christ, we honestly end up with almost supernatural amnesia. And I'd forgotten what this old, I call him Dave. Yeah, the what, old, old person. What Dave had done uh, before he became this new creation named David. And so she's recapping all of these things that I had completely forgotten about. And she said at the end of it, she said, and you know, after everything he did for you, instead of saying thank you, you said something else to him that was horrible. And at that moment, God broke me and I broke into tears and I walked into my house and my wife looked at me and I said, I have to fly to Oregon. And so I walked over to my laptop, really? booked a ticket. On the uh, spot, just like that. On the spot, booked the ticket, wow. booked a rental car, and literally showed up the next two days later at my parents' house uh, unannounced. And walked in, and my mom gave me this glorious hug. And um, I grew up in the just you wait till your father gets home generation. Yeah. And we knew when we heard the garage door go up that it was either going to be a great night or a terrible night, depending on how we treated mom. <laughs> uh -huh. And I was sitting there talking to my mom. Uh, in 2012, you know, 10 years ago, and I heard the garage door go up and I was mortified. And I heard my dad not moving, not nearly as quickly as he used to move. He uh -huh. showed up at the top of the stairs and he saw me and he said, son, I said, hey, dad, he wasn't, 
the least bit surprised that I was there for some reason. And he sat down and I went into this lengthy apology and said, you know, I, I would love to have a relationship with you. And I understand if you don't want to, and what you see may look like the same guy, but I promise you, if you watch me long enough, I'm a different person. I just need a chance. But if I don't get one, I'm fine with that. And his response um, was not what I expected. He said, son, after everything I did for you, you called me those horrible names. And I don't know if I can ever forgive that. And fortunately, I had a hotel reserved and I was yeah. dying for some Taco Bell. So I was ready to get out of there. It was wildly uncomfortable. And um, mom said, well, you know, why don't you stick around for dinner? And I knew what she was trying to do. She was trying to keep yeah, me and dad right. in the same room yeah. at the same time. And uh, ended up food wasn't going to be done on time. So we ended up going out and I said, y'all have a good time. And my dad said, why don't you come with us? And so I went to dinner with them and it was really like God pushed the rewind button and I was nine years old again. We uh -huh. had a great dinner. And several days later I went to leave and my mom and dad were standing at the landing of the front door uh, at like three o'clock in the morning. Cause I had like a zero five thirty flight home. And, um, I hugged my dad and I said, I'm sorry again. And he said, you know, I don't know how this is going to work out, but you just keep doing what you're doing. I think we'll be okay. Now we'll head on to episode number 28. This is clip number eight on the top 10 fan favorites for the first season of Unbeatable. Donovan Chapman was a U.S. Air Force pararescue jumper. He was this extremely talented well-trained warrior in the U.S. military who faced incredible hardships in combat. But Donovan faced hardships after he left the military. And Donovan just describes how all of us live in this dysfunctional world. And if you're going to end up being unbeatable, not letting the circumstances of life overwhelm you, Donovan gives this passionate appeal for you to get up every day and handle life with these three steps to success. Here it is, Donovan Chapman's big three steps to handle your challenges tomorrow. Take it away, Donovan. But what had to happen was, is I had to surrender my dysfunction. You know, I was drinking, I was taking whatever I could to turn off the pain. With the, the medications wasn't working. The PTSD was coming strong. It was getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm crying out to God, God, please, 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 please. Here now, here's the real battlefield. This was the real war. Yeah. Donovan, how strong are you? How are you going to stand on your ego and your training, and where you know is your life, to battle these problems right now? Or are you going to surrender to the highest power? Yeah. Everything I was trained to do, everything I learned in my life, everything that I was holding on to, my identity even, I had to surrender. And so the Pararescue Foundation, I love these guys. They're my mentors. They took me in and sent me to a rehabilitation clinic. Uh -huh. um, and I spent just a one month there. But let me tell you, that one month was the greatest month of my life right. because I surrendered. I realized this ain't going to work. Yeah. I, can, I can be a victim and keep on victimizing and victimizing, and I could point this finger at so many things. I can you and you and this and that and mm and uh and uh. Am I really winning? Right. I'm not winning nothing by doing that. When can I just not just go suck it up and move forward? 
surrender. It's not about losing battle and combat. It's about losing the dysfunctional right. battle of your ego yeah. and self. And I surrender that. And it's something that I will have to do every day of my life. And every individual in this world, if we always realized that we have to struggle every day because we're in a dysfunctional mm -hmm. society, yep. a very dysfunctional world, surrender, struggle, surrender, and succeed every day. And now we're going to transition from a U.S. Air Force pararescue jumper to a U.S. Army helicopter pilot in number seven on your top 10 fan moments for the first year of Unbeatable. Mike Durant appeared on episode number 36, and Mike Durant became a worldwide name after spending 11 days in captivity as a prisoner of war during the big battle in Black Hawk Down. This is the first American to become a prisoner of war since the 1970s. And Mike Durant describes in this clip one of the reasons why he survived is this unlikely relationship between two enemies, Mike Durant and the Somali militia that we were fighting in Somalia. In fact, there's one guy whose name is Farimbi that probably is the reason why Mike Durant is still alive today. So this next clip is a huge shout out to a warrior that I respect, Mike Durant, and the enemy combatant that became a friend when he took care of him. Listen to Mike Durant talk about Farimbi. I want to just recognize one of the reasons why you were able to survive those days of captivity is, of course, uh, efforts by the International Red Cross. But I also want to recognize Farimbi. So can you just mention very briefly his role in helping keep you alive? Yeah, so Farimbi was, a, I call him the head guard. He was assigned by Adid. Adid was the number one guy that we were after. Uh, you know, we were after 50 people. Adid was the mm -hmm. head of the Habergetter clan and he was, he was the number one guy. Uh, and, uh, Farimbi, I, I don't know where he fell in the, in the structure. I'm not sure. You know what? I don't think I ever even went back to see if he was on the list of 50. He may have been, but anyway, he, he was charged with protecting me. And, um, you know, initially he was very hostile as one might expect. I mean, this thing was an 18 hour firefight where people are dying on both sides. So it's going to be hostile. There's just something about that rapport that built, you know, I mean, in survival school, you know, not getting into the, the technicalities, but you know, they basically are teaching you, we want you to survive. We don't want you to die. So don't do anything stupid that you might see in a, you know, a fictitious war movie that's going to cause you to lose your life for nothing. Right. So, you know, I applied all those things and, you know, eventually they, they started to like me, I guess. And, uh, for MB when I, I mean, he went above and beyond after I got released, I wrote him a letter back and I just said, Hey, look, I, you know, I, I'm not sure I would have done what you did. I yeah. mean, he, you know, that I had some, uh, what's a, what's a politically correct way to say this. I mean, uh, oh, you can just gastrointestinal say it problems. Yeah. You could just say it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was quite the the mess and uh i mean he cleaned me up i mean it was like wow you know a week ago we were, we were killed trying each to other. kill each other yep. yeah and uh you know I, I really think he 
wanted to see me survive. And now we're going to transition from a couple of back-to-back warriors to this lady who has to tackle some incredible hardships as a female reporter in the sports industry in America. Laura Oakman appeared on episode 22, and Laura describes one of these first moments in her career where she was just starting out and had done all of her preparation, and she was at the top of her game, and then a coach walks out of the locker room and totally takes the wind out of her sails. I'm going to let Laura Oakman describe not just this first moment, but 30 years of having to prove herself again and again on the sidelines and in the process, opening the door for hundreds of other women. Listen to Laura's powerful story. My first job was in Montgomery, Alabama. I was, you know, fresh out of college and I'm a Chicago girl. And that was as deep South as I had oh, yeah. been. Uh-huh. And it wasn't um, uh, hard for people to realize you ain't from around here, are you? You, you ain't from around here. Cause you know, this in the South, it's right away. What high school did you go to? It's not what college did you go to? So you're an, you're an outsider immediately. And so I already was an outsider because 30 years ago, there just weren't you could count women in sports. So suddenly they hire me as um, as doing news and doing sports on television at the ABC affiliate. And I get there and I think I've made it. You know, I'm I'm about to do my first live shot on a Friday night, Friday night high Friday school. Friday night you lights, yeah. Right? In Big Alabama. time in so the South, yep. That's it. So I'm sitting there waiting for the head coach of one of the high school teams to come out and I'm going to meet him really quickly before the game. We, we had a live shot and I am having a moment like all that confidence I didn't have. I had at that moment that look at me. It took me nine months to get a job. It, you know, some suddenly someone believed in me. I'm about to live my dreams. Everybody said, you can't do this. I'm sitting there having this moment and I'm like, bathing in confidence you know i'm making ten thousand five hundred dollars oh yeah you hit the big time with that paycheck (laughs) the big time and suddenly as i'm having this really nice moment i see the coach and a couple people walking towards me and he's holding a football and a basketball and i'm kind of looking at him but i'm still in my moment i'm just so happy to be there and as i go to you know put out my hand kind of awkwardly because he's holding but he says to me little girl I just wanted to make sure you knew the difference between oh, a football and a basketball. Yeah. A football is oblong and a basketball is round. And I went from all the confidence in the world to literally you would have seen me deflate. And that, Jeff, was my first uh, my first entry in, entree into this world, which suddenly I realized that nobody wanted me, you know, that everything was prove it, prove it, prove it. And that lasted until I was 40 years old. And now at the halfway point through this top 10 highlights, I get a chance to interview during episode number nine, two guys who were on the city streets with me in Mogadishu, Somalia. Mark Hollis was a platoon leader. JT Cooper was one of those warriors in his unit, and they were right next to me on the city streets, and we didn't even know about each other for 20 years. Mark describes in this clip how he ends up separated from all of the rest of us in that battle on the night of October 3rd and 4th, 1993, 
Well, Mark describes what it was like for him and JT when they're out there fighting for their lives and looking behind them and realizing nobody's got their back. And now it's just them fighting to keep each other alive until they can make their way back to the rest of this big multinational convoy. Check this clip out, will you? When I look back, I went, oh, crap. I had the same experience he did. There's nobody there. Yeah. And I'm like, this can't be right. There's nobody in between us and I, the bad guys. I said, Sergeant Hollis, stay put. We're going to work our way back up the hills to, to connect back with the group because it can't be that far. We then, There's no way this could have happened. We're not out here by ourselves. That, just, that mm-hmm. just wouldn't happen to U.S. soldiers in a fight like this. There's 14 vehicles behind us. No. We worked our way back. Um, you're right. It was a target-rich environment. Uh-huh. And I said to JT, I said, known not suspected or likely things, and he just came back with, that's all I got is known. And he's just laying waste and doing doing what he needs to do. Um, well, the RPG started coming in yeah. my 60. Oh, yeah. Because when you use the 60, it lights up. One of the 69 round yeah. burst, it's like, hey, guys, I'm over here. Hey, guys, I'm over here. Hey, So I started having to dodge RPGs, and finally they were blowing up so much of our wall we were trying to hide behind that Hollis said, you need to, you need to stop for a few minutes. Yeah. yeah. And then, and where he's talking about with the engineers. So we, we came back, right? Cause I was like, this is not good. We're, if I get too far away from where Sergeant Hollis is and where uh, the rest of the, the Malaysians are and stuff, cause they're still in the vehicle. Realize this, the vehicles are starting to burn. Mm-hmm. They're staying in the vehicles because that's what they understand. Um, and we're like going, okay, we got to deal with the enemy right yeah. now. You guys are going to, you stay where you think is safe right now. But then I pull back to, to where I guess the engineers were, and I said to Sergeant Maxwell, I said, I need a hole in that wall. Big lesson learned for myself. They use the P formula, P for plenty. And, yes, he was t- <laughs> talking about. Big hole. Yeah, well, no, he didn't blow just a, a hole in the wall. He blew the entire wall around the corner yeah. down. And it kind of worked out for us because then it became a berm. So instead of having mouse holes that you're shooting through, because there's plenty of targets, Uh it was now you can pile up some rubble and you can set things that that are a little bit better. So it became a better defensive position for us because now we've got a nice berm that we're able to deal with the stuff and the threats and everything. Mark and JT didn't make any mistakes, but just ended up in this battlefield by themselves. Well, clip number four on your highlight reel as we make our way towards number one in your top moments during the first year of the Unbeatable podcast comes from all the way north in Canada. This is Simon Cardinal, who spent time in the Canadian military, who went to school and studied leadership, and Simon helps talk to and teach people how they can lead better. He talks about leadership at the low levels and describes it as tactical level leadership. He talks about leadership at the high levels and describes it as strategic level leadership. But your top moment was when Simon started to remind all of us that you're not perfect. You're going to make some mistakes, but those mistakes don't have to define you. Those mistakes don't have to destroy your career. And here is good advice for everybody, whether you call yourself a leader or not. When you make a mistake, why don't you take this lesson from episode number 44 of the Unbeatable Podcast. Listen to Simon Cardinal's advice about how to deal with mistakes. So, so the big thing is when these, these leaders are taking over at that tactical or local level, the big thing to remember is that you're going to make mistakes. 
that, that is just the way it is. You're never, ever going to stop making mistakes, regardless of the level that you're at. But you were selected to go into that role for a reason. Someone saw something in you to go into that job and, and, and lead people. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter why, but you are able to go and do this. And if you're not sure if you are, go listen to podcasts, go read books. There's all kinds of information out there. That's the great thing about the internet. The information is available. So go and find it. And if you're not sure, talk to your friends, ask your boss why you were put into that role. That's okay. And remember that when you're making those mistakes, that's also okay. There's not an expectation for people to be perfect. Just, you know, learn from it. And also I'd like to point out, Negligence is different than a mistake. I yeah. can't stress that enough. Yeah, please. Right? Uh, l- let's talk about that for just a second. There's a difference between making a mistake and just not doing what you know you sh- or what you know you're supposed to be doing. It, exactly. You know, quite often uh, we've I'm sure we've all seen it where someone didn't want to admit they didn't know how to do something, so they just didn't do it. That that's a significant problem in the military operational world. It, it can cost lives. And, yeah. In a for-profit organization, it could cost money. And at the end of the day, that could cost jobs. So if you don't know, just admit it. No one is expecting the, the tactical leader to be infallible. All right, guys, we have now made it to the top three moments during the first year of Unbeatable as voted on by the fans. The last clip that we talked about was Simon Cardinal reminding you that you're going to make some mistakes. Well, the next clip comes from episode number 46. Dan Wise describes when he is sentenced by a judge to federal prison for doing something that in his heart he knew was wrong, but the law allowed him allowed him to do it. He was selling prescription drugs, which were eventually getting people hooked and destroying families. And when he's in prison, Dan has to face the biggest challenge of his life. Dan is forced, whether he likes it or not, to get real with himself. And the moment that Dan gets real with himself, things change for Dan, not just in prison, but for the rest of his life. Listen to Dan describe getting real with himself in prison and how that now is helping other people get real with themselves and get better after they've been sentenced to go to prison. From episode number 46, Dan Wise in the first year of Unbeatable. And how much of that 42 months did you actually serve in a federal prison? So I served 13 months out of the 42 months uh, due to a program called RDAP, Residential Drug Abuse Program, which is a 500-hour cognitive behavior therapy program that takes place in the prison system. Uh-huh. And F- knocks a year off your sentence for taking that program. Yeah. Um, so there's two things that are happening right now. I hope people are hearing this. You're, what you're doing, you believe, according to the law, is perfectly legal, though you know in your mind, in the back of your mind, it's very ugly, very unethical, but definitely not illegal. And eventually, everybody around you starts to say, all right, I'll take a deal rather than go to jail for 20 years. You take the deal. You go to jail for just over a year. And obviously that year leaves a big impact on you because you take a prison sentence and you turn it into kind of a mission in life. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty much how it went down. Yeah. Tell everybody what, not just what changed, but how much prison impacted you so that you are now helping people prepare for and helping them uh, adjust. 
So uh, when I was getting ready to go to prison um, for my 42-month sentence, I, I posted a video on YouTube three days before I started my prison sentence, and I titled it, I'm going to prison for 42 months. I was still, in my mind, I no accountability taken. And I found out about this program, RDAP, Residential Drug Abuse Program. And if you qualify for the program, it can knock a year off your sentence. So I'm like, how the F do I scam yeah, my way into right. this program? Um, I'm thinking it's going to be like AA or something where you just kind of go there, sit around and at the Talk end, you about your feelings, right? Nobody fails. Yeah. So I get into this program because, uh, the, the way they, they, they decided that I can, I qualified because I smoke weed and I would drink alcohol on the weekends. So that is what qualified me as a substance abuse user. So I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be cakewalk. Well, RDAP, little did I know had really nothing to do about drugs and alcohol. I mean, it did, but it was more about cognitive thinking, uh -huh. focusing on but you had to hold each other accountable. So there was no just sitting there quiet. It's 10 months of intense, in, it's inpatient therapy because you're living in a special right. unit. So this 10 months, I just, I couldn't get out of my own way. Every time I thought I could beat them, they had seen a million people like me before yeah. this coming to the system. And it was just, finally, I, I said to myself, oh my God, like they're going to kick me out of this program if I don't start taking it serious. So I started going through the motions. And when I started going through the motions, holding myself accountable and pretending to hold myself accountable initially, something, something triggered midway through the program. And I realized I'm like, or, sorry, I don't know if you can curse yeah, on here, but don't do that. Dan, you are a piece of garbage. Like you lived your entire life thinking you could just mouthpiece your way out of every situation. And that's why you're here right now. So <laughs> if you got to be here, why don't you take this program in serious and kind of see what effects it has so when I started really kind of taking a deep look at myself and seeing how I could have lived my life different and all the poor choices I made, it, something just clicked. And it was like seeing the matrix for the very first time. And I knew at that point that I, I wanted to take this newfound ability in here and bring it home with me. No intent of starting a business. I just knew that yeah. I didn't want to be the old me. And when I got out of prison, prison was a cakewalk for compared to what I thought it was going to be like, just to throw that out there. But when I got home to the federal, they sent me to a federal halfway house for uh -huh. my last other months of my sentence. Uh, I checked my email for the first time and I saw YouTube comment, YouTube comment, YouTube comment. I'm like, what is all these YouTube comments? I forgot I'd made that video. Yeah. And it was all comments from people getting ready to go through something very similar for the a first time, nonviolent offender, white collar, whatever. Um, so I started making response videos just as a hobby, answering people's questions about, oh, this is what it was really like. This is what I wish I, but at this point I was taking responsibility. I yeah. was like, I, technically I didn't break a law, but I was contributing to drugs getting on the street that destroyed lives yeah. and potentially killed little kids. Um, and talking about that on the YouTube channel, I think people started to resonate with it and they saw how real I was being yeah. and being open about it. And about three months into it, I started getting phone calls from criminal defense attorneys uh, asking if they could, if they could use me to work with their clients. And they basically started offering me, um, commissioned, uh, jobs to work with their clients. We're down to number two, one more clip to go after this. Jason McKenzie is on episode 10 and Jason describes him as just a regular guy, just like you, a regular person, just like you. And Jason goes through a terrible event. When his beautiful wife, Natalie, decides she doesn't want to live anymore, buys a gun, and takes her own life. And for a while, Jason tries to fake it. 
because he wants his friends and his family to think that he's got everything under control and that he's okay. But he gets to the point where he realizes by faking it, he's not helping himself. He's not helping his friends and family. He's actually making things worse because he's just not being real. And Jason decides that he's not going to let the pain of losing his wife go in vain. That he really wants to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And so Jason decides to get very real and vulnerable and record a video and put that video out there on social media, not expecting anybody to watch it. And this is one of those moments where a video goes viral, not because of who he is and certainly not because of what he says, because there is a guy who has the courage to stand up and to just get real with people. So listen to Jason McKenzie's motivation for making this very honest, very vulnerable video on social media. Check out this clip, will you? The reason I made the video you're talking about, you know, I, I was at a birthday dinner um, for my uncle, and I, ended, I was at the end of the table with a lady. I got to talking to her like I do. Like, I got to talking to you the first time yeah. I met you. And she worked for a suicide hotline. And I said, well, you know, this sounds insensitive, but how's business? Like, you know, like, she's like, what do you mean? I was like, was it up or down? And this was November of 2020. She's like, are you serious right now? I was like, yeah. Yeah, she's like, calls are up 800%. Jeff, eight. Eight hundred eight times as many calls. Eight hundred percent. And it, it was mind-blowing for me. And I realized right then, I was like, you know, it, Natalie died 10 years ago, and I don't talk about it. The Man, right now, I got, I'm a little uncomfortable, honestly, having this conversation with you because I've never been this open about what happened that night. I've never talked about it. I've lost my wife, and we just stopped. Yeah. Because it's like, it's not, it's not, what it's not polite dinner conversation. It's not man. And it makes people feel very uncomfortable and they won't think I want them to feel sorry for me. That's not what yeah. it's about. But what I've learned, if we don't talk about it, it's the reason that I didn't know Natalie was in was that, struggling. I didn't know she was struggling because it's not common. We don't, we don't talk about it. You're on this show, Jason, because you're an amazing guy. But what really blew me away is you you made a video that you didn't have to make. And I watched this video. And frankly, I don't watch videos. I'm just going to tell you, I'm so busy that if you send me a link to a video and it's longer than about 35 seconds, I ain't going to watch it no matter what it is because I don't have time. Jason sent me a link. I saw how long it was. I started to watch it. I had every intention of clicking off of it and going on to the next important thing. And I found myself watching the entire video and I didn't even realize till it was over with. I just watched that whole video. And here's what I watched. I watched a guy who was very humble and very honest and very real with people. And he was trying to do something good and maybe make sure that this never happens again. And I sat, there was a point in that video where I got to about two thirds of the way through it. And I was no longer thinking about Natalie. I was thinking about Jason. I was like, look at this guy. Look at how open and how vulnerable he's being right now. And I was thinking, I was a little bit ashamed when I was watching that video. Like, I don't know that I would ever do what Jason is doing right now after going through what Jason has gone through. So why did you make the video, man? And what did you want the video to accomplish? And I really hope 2 million people watch this video. Man, you know, it, when I heard the lady's stats about suicide and I realized it's ramping up and, um, then I realized that I'm part of the problem. This is November of last year. November of 2020. 
uh, I realize that I'm part of the problem because I'm not discussing it either. And I, I'm not allowing it to be common conversation. I'm not allowing people to be comfortable to come talk to me about it. And therefore, I'm not helping the solution. I went through all this, and Natalie went through all this, and my family went through all this pain, and I'm wasting it. You know, and um, that that's really where it stemmed from is I think we got we can make a difference if we are to, if we just start making it part of the conversation. Yeah. And I'm a normal guy. I work at a bicycle shop. I race motorcycles. You know, I'm 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 just like everybody else you see sitting at the coffee shop in the morning. And you, you know, I, I put off this. If you look at my Instagram and my Facebook before that video. Life is good, dude. I fly airplanes. I skydive. I race motors. I've never had a bad day in my life. And I'm putting off something that's not real. And I think I'm actually increasing the problem. I'm making the problem worse. And people don't feel like they can ever be vulnerable. They don't think they can have a bad day. They don't think they can be upset. And they don't think they can talk about suicide. And um, so it was the 10-year anniversary when I released it. We're here. We're now at the number one fan favorite moment for the entire first year of the Unbeatable podcast. But let me go back and cover your top 10 moments. You said that when Bill Gassiamas got real and said that having a stroke as a young man became one of the greatest things that ever happened to them, that was a highlight for you. You said in clip number nine that David Dusek's courage to go home and to ask his father for forgiveness was a moment that motivated you. In number eight in our top 10 list, you talked about how Donovan Chapman's motivation for getting up every day and facing the challenges using these three simple steps to success got you motivated to get up and face your challenges during this first year. In clip number seven, we heard from Mike Durant as he described an enemy combatant that becomes his friend and Farimbi is part of the reason why he's still alive and a guy who went the extra mile while Mike was a prisoner of war during Black Hawk Down. Clip number six, Laura Oakman described what it looks like to handle this moment that deflated her confidence and find the strength to keep on proving herself month after month, year after year, for decades as a sports reporter. In episode five, I had a chance to thank JT Cooper and Mark Hollis for fighting next to me and for putting their life on the line to keep me alive in Somalia. And they describe what it feels like to be on the battlefield when nobody's got your six. And maybe you feel like you're fighting for your life and nobody's got your six right now. I hope you were as motivated as I was from clip number five. In clip number four, Simon Cardinal describes how to react when you mess up and you make mistakes, reminding us that all of us, whether you're a leader or not, are going to make mistakes, and none of us are infallible. Then we move to Dan Weiss, who describes serving a prison sentence, going through this prison program, and realizing, I can't fake it anymore. I'm going to have to get real with myself, and I'm going to have to get real with the people in this program, or I'm going to spend a lot more time in prison. And because Dan got real with himself, he was able to help others get real. 
and get healthy. And the very last clip that we just looked at, you had a regular guy, Jason McKenzie, who decided I'm not going to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution, which means I'm going to have to get very honest with myself and very vulnerable with the people that care most about me. And here it is. I would do a drum roll, but I don't know how. So clip number one, your top moment in the first season of Unbeatable comes from NFL quarterback Tom Flick. It's a moment where he worked his entire life to get to the apex of his sport. He is now a quarterback in the National Football League. It doesn't get any bigger. It doesn't get any better than this. And at that very pinnacle of success, while he is on a pedestal and thinks I'm on the top of the world, he gets knocked off of the pedestal. And everything that he has thought about everything that he has worked for up to this moment just comes crashing in around him. I want you to hear in Tom's own words how he handled it when he got knocked off of his pedestal after hearing from his head coach, Joe Gibbs, that he's traded and not going to be playing football for Coach Gibbs anymore. Listen to Tom Flick in his own words. Until the next morning, I'm walking to, it's training camp, the end of training camp, and I'm walking to uh, to breakfast, and a lot of my teammates are going, and coaches are walking by going, hey, you know, good to see you. And how are you today? And I'm going, something's up. Yeah. And Coach Gibbs, is, we have a two days that day, and Coach Gibbs says, hey, uh, I don't want you to practice today. I said, what, what for? He goes, I just, just take it easy. I don't want you to get injured or hurt. And at the end of practice, he called me over and said, here's the deal. We've traded you. We traded you to New England. And as soon as he said those words, I cut him off. I said, but I don't want to hear it. I get it, you know, yeah. and I left. And in 24 hours, I was suited up with the Patriots flying to Dallas to play the Cowboys in the last exhibition game. And I got to tell you, I've never been knocked off my, off my pedestal, off yeah. my foundation of who I was at that moment in my life ever. And I was, you talk about lost, I was lost because I grew up with an image performance based perspective. How I played on a Friday night in high school, a Saturday in college and a Sunday in the NFL determined how I lived Monday through Thursday. I was on this roller coaster of pressure and stress and didn't know it. And so if I played well, then I really felt good. But if I played bad, you know, ah, oh, so down on oh, myself. Yeah. And it's, it's a vicious cycle. We go there often as Americans, I think, uh, because of our just focus on success and achievement. Mm -hmm. And from that, I surrendered my life uh, to Christ. And uh, going now to that, that third year, uh, you know, that's when I was released. And uh, so, uh, so anyway, I, or anyway, I, I was injured. And so that's kind of, I'm starting to get a little confused, but that's kind of the start of it yeah. is that, that episode. Well, I want to just take a pause real quick and describe for people who are listening to this episode, who have put their entire life into this business. And then all of a sudden the industry fell apart and you just went bankrupt, or maybe it was a divorce and you poured everything you had into the marriage and had a spouse sit down at the dining room table and say, I found somebody else and it's over. And you know what it feels like to hear what Tom just heard when Coach Gibbs looks you in the eyes and says, hey, man, we've traded you. And 
you basically built your entire adult life for the moment that you're in when it all gets pulled out from underneath you. All right, guys, that was it. That was your top 10 moments. I have been so blown away by the guests that came on this first year of Unbeatable. And I want you to know that we are already deep into the planning for the second year, the second season of Unbeatable. You're going to hear from some amazing guys and gals that have gone through stuff just like you. And instead of being overwhelmed by circumstances, they decided, I'm not going to let it beat me. They chose to be unbeatable. Hey, we have a very special episode coming up next week. This was the highlight reel for the first year of Unbeatable. Next week is an even bigger moment in the Unbeatable podcast. Because next week on episode 54, I'm going to give you ideas on how you can face whatever it is that you're going through. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. In fact, I recorded some videos and put them on YouTube, and I'm going to show you each one of these videos and give you some motivation. All of us need a little bit of motivation to handle challenges. Well, next week's episode, I'm going to give you motivation to handle whatever challenge you're facing. And here's what I want you to do. Would you go ahead and text a friend? Would you go ahead and put this on social media, asking somebody to tune in to episode 54, because this is going to be an epic moment in the Unbeatable podcast when I give you motivational quotes for whatever it is that you're going through in life. Thanks for being part of the greatest podcast audience on earth. Thanks for being tuned into this episode and part of the unbeatable family. And if you're not already joined up to this powerful community that we call the unbeatable army, why don't you sign up and become part of this email community? All you have to do is go to unbeatablearmy.com. I'll see you next week when I give you these motivational clips for whatever it is that you're facing as we get ready to step into season two of Unbeatable. Thanks for joining me today. Have a great week.